Hello. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Hi, Dan. Hi. Welcome. Your pastor, uh, Rich Chapman, is away, as you know, in Israel with his family for Christmas. We are thankful that he has that opportunity. For those of you that may not know me, my name is Dan Freitas. Hello. I'm honored and pleased to be able to deliver a brief Christmas message to you. Um, we're feeding back just a little bit here, Chris. The, the one instruction that Pastor Rich did give me was to keep it simple. And I'm afraid I probably failed miserably at that. But bear with me, if you will. Um, I said this would be a Christmas message, and it is, for what would Christmas be without worship? And what would worship be without the truth? We sang some excellent Christmas songs uh, this morning, uh, this evening, sorry, uh, led by Chris and the worship team. Um, excellent, excellent job. Uh, but think about what we sang. We sang, He Rules the World with Truth and Grace. It's from a hymn based on the 98th Psalm. We sang, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, reflecting sentiments found in the first chapter of the book of John. We sang, king of all days, oh so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above, reminding us of Psalm 57. You're rich in love and slow to anger, Exodus 34. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, holy, holy is he, Revelation chapter 5. And what about long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth? For that, let's turn to the first chapter of Luke, starting in verse 68. Uh, I know it's dark in here, so if you don't have your Bibles, I'll read it. Uh, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, As he said through the holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Let us pray. Almighty Lord, we praise your name and thank you for your word through your servant Zechariah as recorded for us by Luke and preserved by you through all the generations. May you be magnified in our minds and our spirits as we study tonight. Amen. Good praise music can be a way to prepare our hearts for entering into the presence of God Almighty. Just as we began tonight's service with songs of worship, so did music accompany the first coming of Jesus. Luke, more than any of the other Gospels, records these spiritual songs for us. The book of Luke actually has five songs recorded in the first two chapters. The first is the Beatitude, which is Elizabeth's song found in chapter 1, verse 42. The Magnificat, Mary's song in Luke 46 through 55. The Benedictus, which we just read, Zacharias' song from Luke 1, 68 through 79. And then we have the glorious, uh, the angel song in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, and the Nuke Dementis, Simeon song 
in chapter 2, verse 29. Each of these songs shares several qualities that make them models for proper worship, namely that they are filled with biblical truths and that they focus on Jesus Christ. Elizabeth's song expresses how blessed she is not that she is uh, the barren woman is with child, but that she would be visited by the mother of her Lord. Think about that. Mary's song gives thanks and praise for the benefit that the Messiah's coming would bring to her, but also to Israel and to the world. We don't have time to spend too much uh, time dissecting Zechariah's song, but a little historical perspective may help us to understand it better. All the way back in the book of Genesis, in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we read, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So here we see the beginning of God's promise to Abram. Then in Genesis 17, God changes Abram's name to Abraham, the father of many, and promises a son to him and Sarah. And Abraham laughed because he was old and Sarah was old. But Isaac was born to them in chapter 21 of Genesis. And from Isaac came Jacob, and from Jacob came Levi, and from Levi came Koath, uh, let's see, Koath, Ko, sorry, yes, that's Koath, and from Koath, Amram, and from Amram, Aaron, and from Aaron, eventually would come Zechariah the priest. But not just yet. Back in Genesis 15, God had said that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not your own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. And 400 years passed from the time Isaac was weaned and Ishmael was cast out into the wilderness in Genesis 21, verse 9, to the Exodus in the book of Exodus, verse 7, chapter 7, verse 7. And about a thousand years after the Exodus comes the prophet Malachi. That's Malachi for you on the hill. <laughs> he records for us in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 of his book, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. All right, now back in Luke, 400 years have passed from Malachi's promise of Elijah's return to the angel telling Zechariah that Elizabeth was a child, John, the herald of Jesus the Savior. So what does this all have to do with worship and the words uttered by Zechariah in his song? Zechariah is worshiping God in truth. John chapter 4, 23 says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Spirit and truth here are essentially the same. Because we see in John 16, 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak his own on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. This is clearly what is happening with Zechariah's worship. He was well acquainted with the Word of God, and he used the Word of God in his worship. Luke tells us in the beginning of his gospel that he is also undertaking to write an account of all the things that have been accomplished among us. So there were many accounts, not just the four gospels we have in our Bibles. But God chose to inspire Luke 
and to preserve his book through all time because it is God's word and it is the truth. In fact, the subject of Zechariah's song in Luke 1 is Jesus. And who is Jesus? He is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. There are many styles of worship music today and lots of music songs. Personally, I caution against songs that are filled with mindless repetition. I'm not saying they're all bad. But some of these songs seem designed to put our minds to sleep. There are religions that seek altered states of consciousness, but Christianity is not one of them. You can't worship God in truth when your mind is in a trance. Or to say it another way, we are called to be transformed through the renewing of our minds, not the removal of our minds. Real praise is only meaningful when it is based on truth. At his memorial service, it was said of the late Nelson Mandela that he was, quote, a man who took history in his hand and bent the arc of the moral universe toward justice. Now, Nelson Mandela may have done some great things, but I'm pretty sure bending the arc of the moral universe wasn't one of them. We'll reserve that feat for Jesus, amen? Amen. So such language is false praise because it is not true. The good news is that we can never exaggerate the greatness of our Lord or of his works. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Can you hear the reverence and awe with which Zechariah praised God? Now let's fast forward many years after the promise to Abraham, after the years in exile, and after the, promise, the prophecy of Malachi to the temple in Jerusalem. I have not been able to find proper attribution for this narrative, but it describes the scene in a way that sets the mood. Quoting now, Each morning during this week, lots were drawn to determine which priest would be permitted to enter into the temple and burn the incense. According to the Talmud, a priest could only be chosen for this honor once during his lifetime. Therefore, this event was considered to be the greatest moment in the life of any priest. Try to visualize the scene. It is the time of the morning sacrifice. The sun is just beginning to rise in the east, casting golden rays from, the, from behind the Mount of Olives. In the early morning light, the priests of the divine the division of uh, Abijah have assembled within the temple area. The lots are drawn, and the lot falls to Zacharias. The old priest has been coming to the temple once every six months for many years. This is the first time that he has ever been granted this privilege. He will never be allowed to do the service again. This is the most important moment of his life. Once the morning sacrifice has been offered and the blood dripped on the horns of the great altar outside the temple, Zacharias climbs the steps leading up to the temple porch and passes through the great gold-leaved doors into the holy place. When Zacharias, with Zacharias, are two other priests who have been chosen to assist him in this service. The first priest removes the old coals that had been left over from the previous evening's service. He then retires from the temple. The second priest now advances and spreads the live coals across the altar, and he also retires. Now Zechariah stands alone in the temple. A thousand priests stand outside, and thousands of worshipers have gathered beyond in the court of Israel. But in here it is quiet. Zechariah stands alone in the temple. To his left is the golden lampstand, bathing 
the interior of the temple in a soft glow of its burning lamps. To his right is the table of showbread. Before him hangs a great woven veil, which serves as the doorway to the Holy of Holies. In front of the veil stands the altar of incense. It is made of wood and completely overlaid with pure gold. Its hot coals glow dimly in the faint light of the temple. Zechariah steps up to the altar and begins to spread the incense over the altar. Suddenly he is interrupted. Is that great for setting the scene? So at this point, Zacharias is told by the angel that his prayer has been answered. Not just a selfish prayer for a son, but a prayer for the redemption of his people. The angel says in Luke chapter 1, 16 and 17, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Sound familiar? That's from Malachi. And just as Abraham laughed at the proclamation that Sarah would bear him a son, Zechariah questions how Elizabeth can be with child. And he is struck deaf and dumb until the time of John's birth. Some have said this is not so much a punishment as a way for him to know and to remember that the angel's words were true. Now finally we come back to the subject of tonight's reading. Elizabeth gives birth and the people gathered make motions to Zechariah to ask what the child's name should be. Zechariah writes, his name is John, on a tablet, and immediately he is able to speak. And the first words he says flow forth in the song that has been forming in his heart through these nine months of silence. The Benedictus, which we read, is still sung today in churches and is known as the Canticle of Zachary. In the Expositor's Bible, Henry Burton, a theologian from the 16th century, says this about Zechariah's song, and I'll finish here. And so the mute priest, after the days of his ministration are completed, returns to his home in the hill country to wait the fulfillment of the promises, and out of his deep silences to weave a song that should be immortal for the Benedictus, whose music girdles the world today, before it struck upon the world's ear and heart, had through those quiet months, filled the hushed temple of his soul, lifting up the priest and the prophet among the poets and passing down the name of Zacharias as one of the first sweet singers of the new Israel. So in conclusion, what should we do? First, we must know the truth. The word of God is the truth. Jesus is the word of God and the embodiment of truth. Knowing him as our Lord and Savior sets us free from the bondages of sin. Second, speak the truth. In our words, in our worship, and in our witness, make truth our focus. And third and lastly, live the truth by being a light to the fallen world. Now may Jesus Christ, the incarnate deity, bring you and your family joy this Christmas. Let's stand and sing once more.